still in 1 John. And uh, Dick and I, as we've worked through this material, again, we've said that the book breaks out in two basic sections. One is the first section on having confidence that we have eternal life because we're walking in the light. So if you want to look at what it looks like to walk in the light, look at 1 John 1, 5 to 229. And then the second section is that we have confidence that we have eternal life because we're living as children of God. And that's found in 3.1 to the end of the book, or 5.12. And so we've kind of been working through this material uh, to do that. Now, one of the concepts we're having is trying to say that John wrote this so that people would have confidence. Now, I've got a Socrative survey and questions if you want to. You can go on your phone. And a couple of questions we're asking there are, how has your confidence been affected by our working through this book to this point? That would be an important question, wouldn't it? If we're saying we're teaching this so you might have more confidence. So there's a couple of questions there. You can just go to Socrative.com on your phone. You get off Facebook here just for a minute. And uh, then go there and it just has a room number and put 50168 in there. There's no login information. You don't have to give any information. And by the way, I'll leave this up if you good Christians didn't bring your phone to church or your iPad. Uh, this will be, it's a web-based thing, so it'll be up for uh, most all afternoon and this evening if you'd uh, like to respond to that. It's anonymous. Uh, that means uh, I don't need your name. We're not looking for it. Uh, I know some of y'all, I know some of your comments. I know who they're from, but uh, generally. But uh, it's anonymous, so you don't, we're, not, we're not interested in who, you know, necessarily who, some of you sign your name at the end. And like, I'm thinking, why'd you do that? You know, uh, except when you said that my shirt and tie didn't match. I want to talk to that person again. Uh, that was a little harsh, I thought. Um, but, but it's a not, and so I, we really do want you to a- answer a couple of these questions and give us some feedback uh, that uh, would, would help us to, uh, to know how, how we're doing. Do we need to make some adjustments or changes? Because we've been working through this of living, the theme is confidence by living as a child of God. We're in chapter 4, verse 1 today, and so we'll be looking at that. I'll remind you that in this section here, uh, and Becky always tells me, Cliff, your reviews sometimes become like lessons, so I'll be careful here. Um, I just, in this living as a child of God, it's on your, on your uh, hand out there, but just, I just want to remind you, refer this to that we're dealing here because living as children of God, the idea of family trait. What is it that is the family trait or traits of a follower of Jesus? We looked at that. I, yesterday we were in Florida. My mom had her memorial service, and thank you for your cards and your kindness. Uh, a lady came up to me that I don't even know, um, which is a lot of people now <laughs> at this age. Uh, they say, we've met before. Really? Okay. <laughs> anyway, they, this lady came up to me and says, Cliff... I don't know her. I don't know that she ever met. I think she's seen, I know she'd not met my dad, as I I recall. But she said to me, Cliff, every day you look more like your dad. Now I'm going to bring a picture one of these days because I don't know what that means. I want you to help me here. I have a hunch it means that we have the same kind of hair. I told the story. My mom had white hair. My dad had white hair. One time a lady was saying to my mom, where do you get your hair colored? And, and, and she said, oh, this is natural. Now, I'm not kidding. This is my mom. And, and, and she said, it's natural. And, and, and they said, well, how did you get it like that? And my mom pointed at me. <laughs> now you know. Now you know, right? My hunch, though, my fear is this, that 
My dad and I share a similar family trait that uh, is pretty obvious. And my dad would come in like this. And if you just, I'm going to bring a couple of pictures. Is this. We have ears that make us look like a taxi cab going down the street with both doors open. <laughs> so I don't know if she's coming on my hair or my ears or what. I've told you before, my hands, when I look at them, I see my dad. The family trait. Now, we've looked at this idea of having confidence because we have the family trait of this. With the family trait of confidence, we, of sin, we face it. Face it. You know, it's been interesting to me over my years of ministry, there are really a couple of options whenever you fail or have a problem. You either deny it ever happened, or you give up and keep in it, or you deal with it. And Dick has been talking about over time that we deal with it. that We admit it. We go on. We don't quit playing the game. And so being a child of God, the trait for confidence is that there's sin. We're going to face it. We're not going to avoid it. We're not going to excuse it. I grew up in a holiness tradition sometimes that when people got angry, they just called it righteous indignation. I didn't know what that means. <laughs> but they just renamed it instead of facing it. So if we want confidence as followers of Jesus, we've got to face this. And be willing to. Second of all, we've looked here is this one is the family trait of confidence that love. We got to apply it. Would be lots better to define it, wouldn't it? <laughs> Dick was talking about how that we have to love people sometimes that are not that easy to love, and and we we have confidence in our life when we say, okay, one of the character traits is love, and what I'm going to do by God's grace because He's loved me first, I'm going to extend that to others. That makes sense, doesn't it? That that's the family trait. That we, that we apply this matter of love. It's not that we just discuss it or we talk about it, but that we deal with it. By the way, there's a great book I'm reading on Audible now. Uh, it's so great I can't remember the author's name. <sighs> I think my brain is still pressurized from last night. So, uh, But it's na- the name of this book, you, you should, I, I'm far enough into it that I'm willing to recommend it now. Sometimes I'll read books and I think, well, I don't know. And so I'll do that. Maybe. No, here, here it is. You are what you love. You are what you love. Yeah, James K.A. Smith. Thank you, smarty. (laughs) Thank you, Tucker. That was not on the recording. No, you're right. James K.A. Smith. I knew, I thought, I kept thinking it was Houston, but it's Smith. But you are what you love. It's a fascinating discussion about how that what we really desire, not what we say, not what we declare, not what we talk about, but what we really love is who we really are. And that it is desire, not just intelligence. It's not just information. Ever notice that? That sometimes you have lived below what you know. (laughs) We often say that we're all educated above our obedience level. We know more than we're doing. It's because knowledge is not... The answer to that, it is that our love has to be formed and reformed because we are what we love. And so the family trait of love, applying it into our daily life. Then then the third one here we looked at was the family trait of confidence, the spirit assessing it. Now, I told you I don't like the word it ever associated with the spirit. The pronouns in the New Testament are are. Personal, they're, they're not it, they're not neuter. Uh, that's a, there's a pronoun form in, in Greek, neuter, and it, that is it, but it didn't uh, fit my homiletical design, so I did that. <laughs> so 
this matter about the spirit in four one to four there or four one to three, that the family trait of confidence, the spirit assessing, uh, that one of the things about children of God is they're not gullible. They're not gullible. Where, 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 where John keeps saying, not every spirit is from God. Test them. Don't keep out. See if they're true. I talk to people sometimes, you know, that it's, 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 it saddens me that in churches or organizations or companies, you, it's the same thing like this, that anybody that asks a question is always considered negative. Instead of, look, I, I just don't think this is right. Could we talk about this? And I told you last week, my opinion, again, the thoughts and opinions as teacher, not necessarily thoughts and opinions across the community church, it's elders leadership. I get real nervous when people who claim to be spiritually minded can't be confronted or can't be challenged. And I'm not talking about in a mean way. I'm talking about where, where I challenge, well, I'm not sure about that. I don't, I don't know about that. I've got another idea here. That really worries me when people can't be challenged or questioned or if you do immediately, there's some negative thing put on you. You're divisive, you're negative, you don't have enough faith. I've heard them all, okay? So, so the idea of assessing, not being gullible. Not everything that people declare or claim is from God is from God. Does that make sense? So one of our characteristics, one of our family traits is we are willing to assess matters. We're not going to be gullible. We're not just going to swallow it because somebody said it loudly, you know, like that. I, I said I've been in services before, nothing, nothing me, but, you know, people thought that everything that happened was, was great and, you know, the music was so loud it was killed all the insects in the room. <laughs> That's bad. But that doesn't mean that just because those feelings and all those things are happening that it's necessarily from God. Dick talked about Cain a few weeks ago. I remember a pastor years and years, an old preacher. He would be young now to me, but <laughs> an old pastor who said, don't forget that everything that looks like from God isn't. There was a guy who killed his brother at an altar. There was a guy who killed his brother at an altar, Cain. So, so the idea of being assessing, it's interesting, uh, Dick and I were talking about this. Um, I, I want to say a couple things here real quick and then back up and then Becky's going to get me here in a minute. So one of the things that uh, I would suggest about this assessment, and John hits this, notice where he says, every spirit that does not confess that Jesus Christ has come from God is the Antichrist. And I wrote in my notes here, I didn't say this last week, I would venture to say that every false teaching that has ever affected a follower of Jesus over the centuries has as its core a false teaching about the person of Jesus. Every heresy. I think you can just about write this down in stone, that every heresy, every, I mean really false teaching, I'm not talking about disagreement here, where there is simply some significant error about the person of Jesus every time because he's the linchpin, if you will, in many ways of all that we understand here about the save, saving work of God. So just be alert to that. When you hear people start monkeying, that's my dad's word, you see people monkeying around with the doctrine of Christ, be listening carefully. Be listening carefully because here is where you'll discover I've had these conversations with people before, and I say, let's cut to the chase. You see Jesus differently than I do. 
okay? Now, I'm not talking about color Harry's guide or what eyes he, you know, I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about you and I see him completely differently in these areas, so be alert to that. I remember <clears throat> this idea of false teaching. At one point in my life, I was involved in a situation where um, uh, I has, was with a lot of religious people, and I'm, I'm just trying to be here. It wasn't anybody here, nobody here, not in Oklahoma. This happened in another state. But I had spoken on a topic uh, that was just kind of a basic topic series, teaching through a series of passages, and um, got through that. And uh, as I taught, got through just like that, the, the, later I find out from a person in this uh, conglomeration of people that said that they had a parent uh, who could never, ever come hear me speak again. I said, well, I get that a lot, but... Uh, <laughs> said they couldn't come because of what I said. And I said, well, I'm sorry to hear that. It's unfortunate. Anyway, I saw the person a little bit later, and I said, could I talk to you about this situation? And they said, sure. So we went to this place, and I said, look, I'm, I'm open if I'm in error here. Because I try to apply what I'm saying. If you think I'm in error here, I, I just, <clears throat> you know, I need you to help me understand where you think. I, you know, I did my study, did my work, and, and I really tried to work hard on this. So if you can tell me where I'm wrong, I, I'll be glad. They said, well, there are a lot of people disagree with you. I said, again, get that a lot. Understand that. No, there's, you know, there's nothing new here so far. I need some new, okay? I just need to know that. So the person said that, and I, I'm not exaggerating. You know, preachers sometimes exaggerate. I'm not kidding you. I did this. I took my Bible and I handed this person, I said, then show me, please. This person did this. Get that thing away from me. Get that thing away from me. Get that thing away from me. And I said, hmm. Hmm. <laughs> I don't have to spell that. But I'm thinking, in the name of Jesus, the spirit of Antichrist is right here. Right here. Right in front of me. And I just right then begin to take authority in Jesus' name to say, nope. Nope. This is a false teacher. Now notice that because John, I said a little bit, he said, the test of the spirits because many false prophets have gone out. It seems that this spirit of Antichrist is in people. See, false teachers, false prophets. It's not just some ghost, you know, or, or spirit wandering around. It's, it, it is manifest in people. And John particularly relates that to false teachers. We're going we're gonna to look at that a bit. So, so, so this idea here, you, if you will, of this matter of the false teaching, the, the resistance to Jesus, the, the, the willingness. And I, I've often wondered how long that spirit had been operating in that person for a long time because... Nobody had ever done this. Show me. <laughs> I don't know. But John here is very careful to say, let's not be gullible. We'll test the spirits. Then finally, notice here in verse 4. You are from God, little children. This is our new one today. Here's the family trait of confidence source. <clears throat> Accepting it. Now, I want to read this in verse 4 here. We'll, we'll go through. Here's this. You are from, now, New American Standard has got the word from. I, don't, I, I, don't, I forgot what ESV has there. 
but it may be the same term, but I just want you to notice how many times the word from and in are occurring in this passage. You are from God, little children, and have overcome them because greater is he who is in you than he who is in the world. They are from God, or they are from the world, therefore they speak as those from the world. And the world listens to them. We are from God. He who knows God listens to us. He who is not from God does not listen to us. By this we know the spirit of truth and the spirit of error. Now, whenever an author does what I call, we call in biblical recurrence of some terms like that, we think, well, there must be a point here for a second. And so what I want us to look at is that John is trying to help us have confidence by recognizing our source. Where are we from? What is the source? The Greek word here, or the, the Greek term here, is the, it's an easy word, it's called ek, E-K, and it means out of, or from, or finding its source in. So it means out of, from, or finding its source in. When he says, you, beloved, have, are, you are from God, the, the, the source of life. What, what, what is your source? What, what is the, what is the, where are you from? I, I have a good friend who's a pastor on uh, the south side of town, Steve Childs. Um, um, we were roommates in college, and he's pastoring at church down there. We're a good guy. His wife uh, grew up in Ohio. And uh, her last name was Kowalski. I can't even spell it. It's like Mike Krzyzewski, by a vowel, you know, by a vowel. Um, and she grew up in Ohio, and I didn't know, you know, I grew up in Texas where all jokes are Aggie jokes, you know. You know, like, you know, they got three books in the library at A&M, and two of them haven't even colored in, you know. Uh, anyway, Wanda grew up and she received the result of what they would call Polak or Polish jokes. I never heard of them. Uh, and they weren't funny. <laughs> uh, Wanda grew up uh, having people make jokes about it. And, and she said in the fourth grade, a little girl came to her one time and said, why do you Polish people eat from the garbage can? And Steve tells a story how that Wanda really was affected by this, obviously. And the harshness and the meanness of it all was that it began to form in her a sense of unworthiness, a sense of less than. You can imagine. You're Polish and everybody makes all these jokes and they're, they're harsh. They're not funny at all. They're mean. And so Steve said Wanda went through most of her life. She's a wonderful person, very talented counselor, and a very uh, attractive person. But in her college days later, there had been a death in the family, and they began to do some study about the family. And through a couple of generational kind of discussions, they found out that their name wasn't Kowalski. Their name was Shram. German. And they come to find out that around the First World War, when her grandfather was in uh, uh, Germany, 
that the German army came through conscripting young men to become soldiers. And he decided he didn't want to go to World War I, so he went to Poland and changed his name. <laughs> his last name was Schramm. He was of German descent. When Wanda found out the source of her family, it changed everything. All of a sudden, now, the source of... I'm, I'm not a... Not that there's anything wrong with being Polish, but for her, her experience was it was terrible. It was horrific. Think about how her life would have changed had she known the source of her family. I'm German. That was his name, Shram. <coughs> Knowing the source of her life. Look, look what... Look what Look what John says. You're from God, little children. We're, we, we see this from this idea that you're from God. You find your life, your source from God. The word here, again, indicates this source. John will contrast this later from people who find their source where? From what? We read it. <laughs> what? The world. From the world. He, he's going to contrast this to say, you're from God, and others are from the world. You find your source in life. John here wants us to have confidence because he says, here's where the source of your life is. Here's where the source of your life is. I wrote in my notes this, locating the source of life is the challenge we all face. Our world tells us you'll find the source of life in things. Our world tells us you'll find the source of life in status. Our world tells us that you'll find the source of life in power. And yet, the Bible tells us over and over again, the source of life comes from God. I know some of you get a little tired of me saying this, but I, I mean this, and Craig Rochelle copied me at Easter. So I'm taking it all the way to the bank. You see, this comes back to a fundamental misunderstanding of the Christian life. That Jesus did not come to make bad people good. If he did, there are lots of religions that do that. Lots of them. Make people moral. Make them high and upstanding citizens. There are lots of religions that do that. Okay, so let's settle that one. So Jesus did not come to make bad people good. Jesus came to make dead people alive. You're a heat-seeking missile for life. You're trying to find it. I'm trying to find it every day. I'm trying to find it in money, things, relationships, power. You name it. We're all driven that way. But John here tells us, listen, the source of zoe, life, is God. It's interesting, too, because... The term that John will use in the Gospels, there are two words for life. One is bios, which means biology, all that kind of stuff. The word that Jesus uses is zoe. It means the life that comes from God. Man, I tell you, this rattled my cage when I realized when John was saying, here, listen, you're from God. You're, you're, you find your source and basis of life in God. And he's going to help them understand that. Let me give you some passage. They're all out of the gospel, mostly out of John. No, they're all out of there. Uh, the gospel of John, because this is the second book, John. I'll, I'll read them to you really quickly, and I'll give you the reference. John 1, 14, uh, John 1, 4. In him was life. 
Jesus. And the life was the light of men. In, hear that? In him was life. Uh, John 5, 38, 39 says, you search the scriptures because you think that in them you have life. How many of us have done that? You search the scriptures because you think in them, the scriptures, you have life. But it's these that testify about me, but you will not come to me that I might give you life. John 5, 38 to 39. John 6, 33. Jesus said, I am the bread of life who gives life to the world. John 6, 60, uh, John 6 33. Then John 6, 63. He said, it's the spirit that gives life. John 10, 10. I have come that you might have life. It's in the margin of the Bible because it says, because you ain't got it. <laughs> Some Bibles, mine. I say every Bible. Y'all don't even listen this morning. And you got an extra hour of sleep. John eleven twenty five. 25. I am the resurrection and the life. He that believes in me, yet though he die, will live again. John 14, 6. I am the way, the truth, and the life. John declared that from the very beginning, we are ek God. We are from God. And we have confidence here that our life is right. I'm not going to bore you again, but I've, I've told you my own testimony. I was in seminary. When I was sitting in the car one day and I thought, I don't think there's anybody in here but me. I don't think there's anybody in here but me. Jesus, you got to do something. One of the great Puritan books that I've read over the years, and you should read, it's called The Life of God in the Soul of Man. The Life of God in the Soul of Man. That was Wesley's favorite definition, by the way, in terms of his understanding of what it meant to be a follower of Jesus. Life. You are from God, little children. Don't forget this. Your life, your, your source, your being finds its source and strength and being from him. And so we find in our lives this confidence. Now notice what he says. You're from God, little children, and have overcome them. Here's the life. Because greater is he who is where? In you than he who is where? In the world. Where would you rather have it? In you or in the world? In me. In me. I'm reading theologically all the time. And one of the things that I'm reading more and more people are writing about is an old idea that Puritans and some Reformed uh, uh, scholars wrote about. And it's called this, union with Christ. I've told you before, we've, we've turned this thing around to where we ask Jesus into our life, which isn't much. <laughs> Instead of Jesus inviting us into his life, Jesus saying, why don't you come into my life? Why don't you allow yourself to come into my life? It is Paul's most famous statement in the epistles. Christ in you, Christ in you, Christ in you. The other one is, you are in Christ. If anyone, you know, therefore, uh, whoever is in Christ is a new creature. 
old things have passed away. What if we change this, that, that, that our life is in him? Not him in our life, us in his life. Now notice what he says. You've overcome them. Who's that? All the people you don't like, right? <laughs> I think it was, uh, again, my brain is pressurized. I was trying to remember songs. I couldn't, I, Becky told me the lyrics three times. I still can't remember it. I need to see a doctor. And, uh, but I think it was um, somebody. Yeah, and that, that's strong, you know. <laughs> By the way, here, I need to give you this too. <clears throat> um, I don't know if it was Anne Lamont or whatever. But said, you can always tell when you've created God in your own image, he hates the same people you do. <laughs> That's scary. Listen to that. You can always tell when you've created God in your own image. He hates the people you hate. And I don't think he hates anybody. So we might want to be careful there. He doesn't hate anybody. So we've overcome them. It's not our enemies. It's the false prophets and the false teaching. The false teaching. Why is that? Greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. Now, who's in the world? Who is he referring to here? The Antichrist, the spirit of Antichrist. Yeah. We sometimes even might say the spirit of the evil one, right? And I remind you again, the opposite of the evil one is not God. The opposite of the evil one is Michael the angel. Let that sink in a little bit. The evil one is, was created from all we can tell. He's not eternal. He hadn't existed always. He's a created being. The typical answer is he fell from heaven. Some would disagree with that. That's okay. I don't know any other explanation. I can't believe God created the devil as the devil like throwing a rattlesnake in a daycare and say, I hope you don't get bit. So if he's a created being, a fallen angel, we need to get our heads straight on this. Greater is he that is in us than he that's in the world because he that is in the world isn't even the opposite of God. He's the opposite of an angel. You with me? Think about that. We give the devil too much credit. We give him too much power. He's a fallen. I'm not saying he's not, you won't goof around with him and mess around. But I am saying, when John says this, you go, yeah. Greater is he that's in us than he that's in the world. Because he in the world is the one who is the opposite of not God, but Michael. So false prophet. You've overcome them because greater is he that is in you than he that's in the world. We don't have to worry and fear and anxiety here. We've got one who lives in us and helps us to understand our source of life. So the essential source of life is where do I find it? I think I have to answer that regularly. I think I have to be honest enough to say, has my life drifted? into thinking that the source of my life is in this or this or if I could only get that, then I'd really have life. You ever struggle with that? I told you, turning 65 wore me out. I wanted to tear that Medicare card up. Bake said, don't you touch it. 
you know, all of a sudden, like in ways I can't even explain, my fear of retirement just scared me to death. I said to Becky, I mean, I shouldn't tell you this. I just said, Becky, God will take care of us, right? And she looks at me like, Basically, you've been running your mouth all your life about this. Now live it. See? Live it. Live it. But, but the idea of <clears throat> where is my life? Is it in my status? I'm going to retire someday. You know, I, I've known preachers. I've just, you know... Don't mean to be mean here, but I know preachers that can't not be in charge. And they tear churches up after they retire. I, I know people that retire from a business. And the, Dick and I were talking about this. The phone stops ringing. You know, because no, they're retired. They ran a business. Nobody wants to talk to them anymore. Man, now what do I do? How do I define my life now? Is it by what I do or who I am? When I was younger, I tried to wrestle with this, but not like I am now. Who am I? Becky's asked that every once in a while. Like, who are you? No. <laughs> I don't know who I am today. I'll say I'm Batman. No. <clears throat> I like to keep things lively. But I don't, this, I mean, this, it's all churchy language to talk about, you know, he is all I need. I don't know. I change words when I sing lots of times because they're theologically vacuous. I'm a lot of fun to be around. <laughs> but I have to be honest and say, look, I have to bring this to the Lord on a regular basis. I, this is not something I brought to him one day and then, we're done. Th th these are things that I have to bring to him. Like, what's the source of my life? What do I really love? If I am what I love, what is it? Oh, man, I could tell you all kinds of stuff that worry me and cause me to have to go back to Jesus and say, I got to give this to you. I got to give this to you. I, 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 I'm, this, is, this is making so, this is mattering so much. You know, I, I've, had to, I've had to sometimes take friends to say, I've had to admit to God, God, I've, I've looked more for my friend's approval than yours. You ever done that? I've wanted my friends to approve me more than I've worried about God. I'm not worried or, you know, willing for that. The Lord asked me one time when we were working through some things on our finances, and I said, well, I've got that much in insurance, so I'm pretty good. And I think I heard the Spirit of God go, what? Yeah. What? Right? I'm not saying don't have insurance. I'm not saying don't be a responsible person. I'm saying, I just know in my soul, when my soul starts moving around and starts trying to find the source of my life. So here's, I, I, I thought I put this on the deal, but I didn't. Here, here's the application I want to ask you to consider. I didn't put it on there. I, I just didn't. I don't know what's going on there. What, what, what can you identify in your daily life? What can you identify in your daily life that's an indication that you are believing and acting on the truth 
that God is your source of life. What, is it, what are you doing <clears throat> during the week? Something you can identify. <clears throat> Say, you know what? <clears throat> I think when I do this or I participate in this or I whatever, this is an indication that I really do look to God as the source of my life. Maybe you can identify something to say. When I, you know, I, it doesn't have to be major. Just, this is something I think I do that keeps me guided and directed and, and dialed in that God really is the source of my life. I don't know what that is for you. I, I know what it is for me. <clears throat> or would you begin this week and look for a way that you could express that God is the source of your life? Is there something you could do to say, okay, I, I don't know if I can find anything right now, but I'm going to do this, and I'm going to do it as an act. A source. I, I will tell you this. It, it just, this is just one thing. Uh, we got several things we're praying about, Becky's uh, life, my life, different things like that. And I just said to her one day, I said, uh, we didn't do it last night because we are on an airplane. And we sat away from each other because we were. I wanted to sit close to the front. Get out of there. Saturday night at 9 p.m., all the things I'm worrying about, we list them and pray for them one by one. Now, that's once a week. But Saturday night at 9 p.m., we sat down, whatever we're doing, and said, okay, you know what? I can worry or I can pray. I've been worrying all week. Let's pray a little. <laughs> I heard a guy say like this, is worry displacing Jesus in your life or is Jesus displacing worry? That's pretty good. Is worry displacing Jesus in your life or is Jesus displacing worry? And so at 9, 8 p.m. every Saturday night, we say, God, you're the source. These things are driving Cliff crazy, not Becky. She believes. <laughs> she trusts. She's the theologian in our home. These are the things that I will worry about if I don't get them here to you. You're the source. I've got to give these things. We got a long list. A couple of y'all are on there, I think, but nope. <laughs> a couple of the hard cases. What can you do this week? If you, you say, I need to find something. Okay? <clears throat> We're going to hurry, sort of. Here's the next one it, it's on there. You ought to live up here every once in a while. It's a carnival, man. We don't get bored at my house. We don't even need TV. Wayne Bolenbach used to say all the time, he said, Cliff, you're better than TV. Of course, I'll tell you something about Wayne, too. So, yeah. All right, here we go. The source of our listening. One is the source of our life, now the source of our life. Look, watch here. They are from the world, and therefore they speak from the world, and the world listens to them. We are from God. He who knows God listens to us. Notice that's, that sounds kind of arrogant, doesn't it? But notice it's us, not me. Not me. And they say they listen to me. John is writing from a corporate group, the apostolic witness to saying, whoever's from God, listen to us. He who is not from God does not listen to us. By this you know the spirit of truth and the spirit of error. Here is 
our confidence that, that those of us who are from God and find our source from God, we listen to God. We don't always listen that great at times, but we want to hear from him. I, I thought of this. I don't know about you, but this, this I, I read an article. Listen, this sounds pretty, this sounds intellectual. Selective auditory attention or selective hearing is a type of selective attention and involves the auditory system of the nervous system. Selective hearing is characterized by the action in which people focus their attention on a specific source or a sound or spoken words. The sounds and the noise in the surrounding environment is held by the auditory system, but only certain parts of the auditory system are informed and processed by the brain. Most often, auditory attention is directed at things people are most interested in. I thought of this. <laughs> huh? Pat, Pat, yeah. Thought of this. Yeah, that's called selective hearing. Mine is stuck on that. <laughs> yeah, or this one. I thought, uh, I thought this is a... <clears throat> Can you read that? It says, yes, I heard you calling me. Did you hear me ignoring you? <laughs> yeah. The, the selective hearing. Who do you listen to? Who do I listen to? He says this. They're of the world, therefore they speak, and the world listens to them. Now the world, just look here real quick. The world is not people necessarily. When in John 3, it said God so loved the world. It didn't mean the planet people. But in this context, the world is a system. The world's a system in opposition to the rule of God. There really are, and Dallas Willard does a much better job than I do on this, but the idea that the rule or the kingdom of God comes to displace every other rule and kingdom. Whether it's nationalism, which seems to be a ruling, or it's our personal biases, or it's our self that we're going to run, it comes to oppose every one of those kingdoms. And they're all over the place, right? The world, it's a system. It has its own values, it's only its own rights and its own determinations how things will happen. This system is contrary to God's revealed will in Jesus and the scriptures. And so we as people have to say, listen, the rule of God trumps every other rule, every other kingdom, every other loyalty. That's hard for us because we've got all kinds of loyalties that came to pull and cause us to try to say, well, what about that? We just have to keep running it back to Jesus and say, hold on here. Who am I listening to? Who am I listening to? He says, they listen to the world and they'll listen. It's interesting. I just may, may, maybe make a matter here. I wrote here the distinction here between those of us who listen to God or listen to the work, we'll, we'll say that, and those who listen to the world, I think is getting more distinct than ever. I think it's really become, going to get more clear. There's kind of been a muddy middle in America for quite some time of the world and the church. I, some of us who look at that wonder how much of the world has gotten in the church. How much of the church got in the world? Or has it? Or has the world and the system of 
Thoughts and opinions, teacher, not necessarily thoughts and opinions across the community church, it's elder leadership. But this is where our loyalties have to be clear. That our loyalties are to the kingdom of God. Doesn't mean we're going to be a bad citizen by that way, but it means our loyalty to the kingdom is supreme. It's been pretty easy to work both of those for some time, but it looks like it's getting harder. To be able to really speak if you will, and hear from God. And then you'll see the line of demarcation. This has worked for a while. It looks like it may not be as much in the future. Now, the, the, the idea here of whoever is from God listens to us. Who's us? Well, I think it is related to that. But look here, I think I would refer you back to John 1. Now, don't hyperventilate. We're not going back there forever. <laughs> People go, oh no, he's going backwards. <laughs> uh, notice here in John 1, he said, 1 1, what we've heard from the beginning, notice, notice the pronouns. What we have heard, what we have seen with our eyes, that we've looked and touched with our hands concerning the word of life. The word life was manifest and we testified to it. Who's this? It appears, if I'm any judge of this, the apostolic tradition, the disciples, the followers of Jesus who begin to write and declare. And this apostolic tradition, this, this understanding that we listen to, what has the church believed? Uh, one of my heroes, uh, Tal, his uncle, uh, Tal Oden here, but his uncle, Dr. Uh, Thomas Oden, used to say to us, Dr. Oden was the world's leading authority on the church fathers. He had read more, studied more, written more. If you just look at Thomas, e., Thomas Oden on Amazon, he's about 60 books. Dr. Oden used to always say, we need to listen to those who are the closest to Jesus. What did they say? What did they declare? What did the apostolic tradition and the church fathers believe? I'm, there's a research. My students really want to know this. John Wesley said this. That would be suggesting that the first 400 years of the church... It's where we find that what we call the consensual teaching of the church, the first 400 years, the consensus or the consensual teaching of what everybody believed, Eastern Orthodox, Roman uh, uh, Catholic, all, what did they share in common? And John Wesley said this, the greatest tragedy in the history of the church was at the fourth century when Constantine became a Christian. That's a strong statement. Because at that point, the church quit being persecuted. The church got real organized. And it took on the form of the Roman Empire in its organization. And sometimes they quit listening to the fathers. If this idea is whoever listens to us, have you ever read those guys? And ladies, there are some women, what they call church mothers, they're a lot smarter. but <laughs> Those early writers said, whoever is from God listens to us. They can hear the, 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 the attestation of truth here of Jesus. So Paul or John is saying this matter about those who are the closest. Now, let me give you one more thing and we're going to get out of here. How do you know if what you're listening to is from God? How do you determine that? Again, our tradition, 
as Westlands, we have a little tool. We have a little tool. It's called the quadrilateral. And it's this. Truth or trying to determine if something's true. We run it through these four things. Number one, Scripture. But Scripture that is informed by tradition. I tell my students, if you think you found something nobody else has ever found before, it's heresy. <laughs> they think they find it all the time. I never heard this. That's because you're not that smart. <laughs> you haven't read enough. Dial her down. I'm in the 24th grade. You're in the 12th or 13th. But it's scripture that has been informed by tradition. What did other believers... Do you think we're the smartest people? Like me and my coffee table, am I smarter than Athanasius and, and uh, Constant uh, or uh, uh, Clement of Alexandria? The tradition. Third is reason. Scripture, tradition. I know what I'm doing up here. You don't, yeah. That's how I keep a job. So they, you know, they, they, what was that about? I don't know. <laughs> Scripture informed by tradition and reason. And then reason. And then finally, experience. And that does not mean individual. That means what has been the experience of the church? What is it that Christians have practiced? Now I'm telling you, I think we're at a time in our culture right now I've talked to our staff here. There are a lot of people making lots of truth claims. There are a lot of people making truth claims about this. And you say, wait a minute, hold it, hold it. Let's look at it then. Let's run it through the mill. Scripture, tradition, reason, experience. Let's have a conscious, serious conversation about this. Instead of you just think the Lord told you this. Or you just feel this. Or this couldn't be true because that we use the quadrilateral. What are we listening to? How do we discover whether something is true? Again, I would bring us back that we listen to those who are the most or closest to Jesus. I'll tell you that at the end of this. Uh, Dr. Oden, uh, we were working on a project of his work. This happened with a group, so I'm not telling anything that's not public. But Dr. Oden was... Uh, a brilliant scholar up at Brandeis and taught theology for 40, 50 years, 40 years. But he was so committed to trying to help people discover what did the church fathers say? What did these godly men and women say in those first two or three centuries about Jesus? W one person said, if you read the church fathers, you wouldn't even need the Testament. Ne you wouldn't need the New Testament. They quote the scripture so often you could reconstruct the New Testament. You wouldn't even need the New Testament. It would be, you could reconstruct it through their writings. So one day we're talking and we're discussing this. And Dr. Odin always wanted to be known by this. I discovered nothing. I discovered nothing. All I did was bring to light what has been the consensual teaching of the church and the early fathers for all the centuries. So one day we're talking, and one guy said, Hey, now we got to get busy. We got to get this Dr. Odin's work out there. 
Tal, it's the only time I ever saw your, grand, your, your uncle rise up. We said, we got to get his stuff out there. It's in a group, so it's not private. We got to get out there. And Dr. Odin reared up and said, this is not my work. This is the work of the church and of the church fathers. Why? He knew we could find the truth if we studied those closest to Jesus. So let me just say this to you. You might want to jazz up your Bible study a little bit and not just take what you read and think that's it. You might want to dig in. There's a book called Reading Scripture with the Church Fathers. Reading Scripture with the Church Fathers. You might discover there's a couple of people had some pretty good ideas. <laughs> Reading Scripture with the Church Fathers. And then I would absolutely, if you're a geek nerd like me, it'll make, it'll make you look, just put it on your coffee table and people will be impressed if you don't read it. But Dr. Odin's book, Classic Christianity, there's hardly a line in that book that doesn't come from Ignatius, Athanasius, Clement of Alexandria, Blind Didymus, all of these wonderful, wonderful people. To get out of just the stream of evangelicalism or what just somebody just wrote a book last week. So John says, you know what confidence is? It's who we listen to. So I did put this on here. What if this week you took an account of what you're listening to? Radio, internet, podcast. How is this an expression of your life of listening? What are you listening to? What am I listening to? Am I listening to this substantive, this kind of language, this kind of study, this kind of proclamation from the fathers, from those who walk the closest with Jesus? That's what I want. Let's pray. It is our desire, Lord Jesus, to know that you are the source of our life and that you're the source of our listening. Would you guide us this week into these two areas for the good of Christ, for the strengthening of the church, and for the glory of God? We pray this in Jesus' strong name. Amen.